Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. It's all about saying thank you, whether it's the person in front of you at 7-Eleven who holds the door for you to the person who helped you change a flat tire. The words thank you really resonate with the human spirit. And let's face it, in the world of fundraising, how you say thank you is almost as important as the thank you itself. Now, you might be thinking, hey, we thank all of our donors, every gift, we're, we're fine. And that would be a good thing. But how do you thank your donors and to what level? And is there a wrong way to thank your donors? Maybe you're not doing it right. You would be surprised at the answer to that question, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, helping us with this discussion today is Mark Litzler. Mark has a long, distinguished career as a fundraiser and nonprofit expert. His work includes stops at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, Truman Medical Center, St. Luke's Foundation, and the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art. He was president of the Greater Kansas City Council on Philanthropy and was awarded the Nonprofit Professional of the Year in 1999. Recently, he was executive vice president at the Fort Worth Museum of Science and History, but today he is back in Cleveland working as the director of institutional giving for the Cleveland Orchestra. And most of you know of Mark's work. Now, maybe not as a fundraiser per se, but as a published cartoonist. His work has appeared for years in the Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, Barron's Reader's Digest, and a number of American City business journals. I encourage you to Google him and check out some of his work. It's fantastic. Mark Litzler, it is great to have you on Impactability. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. So Mark, it goes without saying, thank your donors big and small right absolutely you know and when you look at the broader context of stewardship that thank you is just the first domino to fall because stewardship is a lot bigger topic than just saying thank you or or how you think very true very true the idea for the topic of stewardship came from a conversation that you and i had when we first met you said the words world-class stewardship And I got to tell you, they just resonated with me. It seemed to be quite like a passion statement for you. Why is that, Mark? Well, the word world class, uh, we use that often at the Cleveland Orchestra because we we feel and uh, critics would tell you or argue that we are among the top three orchestras in the world with uh, Berlin and London. So that thinking yourself that you're with a world-class organization elevates your game in every aspect. And so that was why I I said world-class stewardship. Well, it's a great phrase, and and that's why we call this podcast world-class stewardship, because I think we all need to aspire to world-class stewardship, regardless of the gift, regardless of the donor, big and small, we need to deliver world-class stewardship. What would be your definition of world-class stewardship? Uh, it, it would center around the stewardship of a relationship. So you, you think in terms of individual donors and what their specific interests are, and you meet them there and make sure that you're providing for them exactly what it is they're there for. And we all have different interests as donors and staff people. And so, you know, world-class stewardship starts with understanding 
what the basis of the relationship is. Walk us through what you see as like the basic steps of donor stewardship. What I've found in virtually every place that I've worked is that 90% of our larger donors are already giving. So it's about renewing their support annually. And that boils down to what's, again, what's the basis of the relationship? What are they looking for? What do they need from the organization or from their, around their gift? And you look at corporations, foundations, and individuals all differently when it it comes to stewardship because corporations, they're looking for very specific outcomes from their sponsorship or, 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 or their gift probably around viewership or visitorship or how many people encountered their the the program or the where their logo was placed and foundations they have specific interests around the outcomes of their grant and and stewardship with the foundation is all about providing the outcomes and the reporting uh, that, that you all agreed to when you accepted the grant and for individuals, like I said earlier, it's it's all about understanding what their specific interest is and then providing uh, enough reporting and thanking and engagement and all other stewardship to keep them happy with the organization and, and understanding that the organization really loves them and, and relies on them as an important investor. We're talking with Mark Litzler today on Impactability. We're talking all about world-class stewardship. Let me ask you this, Mark. Should a nonprofit have a policy in place for donor stewardship, kind of like a template? Typically, what we see is uh, different benefits, if you will, at different levels, so that every donor has some level of stewardship. And certainly as they graduate to upper levels of giving, you're providing additional benefits that are personalized for them. But like we all do in fundraising, I mean, those upper level donors are the ones that make or break us. That kind of spills into the next question that I was going to ask you is that level of stewardship, is it based on the level of the gift? Can you give us like some examples? Donors of $10,000 or more, I think, are the ones that we're eager to renew. And so there may be, certainly at that level, and I've started lower than that, uh, a semi-annual letter, personal letter that's... uh, a little bit of reporting on what's going on at the organization, a little bit about what's coming up so that they're able to kind of anticipate something, a program or whatever that they may want to take advantage of. And at St. Luke's, we would have 1,200 people or organizations at that level or up. And I would, it would take me a week, but I would personalize those letters with a note to individual donors. That had more impact. I would hear back from donors all the t- regularly about the letter and the update and the what what to look forward to kind of thing. Uh, certainly at those upper levels, you're talking about uh, people that you in your portfolio that warrant a, a personal touch, like a lunch once in a while, or maybe you invite them to the organization to meet somebody new. Uh, maybe at a museum, you have a, a new curator. Maybe at a hospital, you have a new program or a new clinic. It's that invitation. You know, so oftentimes uh, these donors are busy and, and don't take you up on it, but it's extending that personal invitation that is really the, the stewardship touch. So in other words, when you're sending these letters, you're including a little bit about what's going on. Hey, want to let you know this, this, this. and But also you are, are kind of giving them a little bit of a personal thank you 
and um, that kind of seems to make a difference in their feelings for how they embrace your mission. Absolutely. And I think it's critical that you tease out something that's coming up that they may enjoy or that they're hearing about it uh, helps them and always offer to make further connections with the organization. The, the role that we play in development, and I mean, nobody really cares about the development guy, but they, they care about the organization. And so you, you have to embrace that thinking and, and be a connector to other things in the organization that they may enjoy. Yeah, Mark, you say they might not care about the development guy, but it is Christmas, Mark, and who knows what you're going to get this year. So maybe, you know, how would you say stewardship has changed during the pandemic? Have you seen changes? Like everything else, everything's become virtual. And so this taking people to lunch has really fallen off or taking people out. And even the hesitation that lots of folks have just in engaging personally at the organization, being in crowds or being with other people, there's a real, it's kind of a barrier. And, and so you kind of fall back on the tried and true with the correspondence, see a lot more email. And I, I was at a seminar, the other panel discussion the other day, talking about the differences in generational uh, connection with organizations. So that, you know, the, the way baby boomers like to be engaged is not how millennials like to be engaged and is not how Gen X or Gen Z are reacting. It, it's everything from how we address envelopes and how our sensitivity to pronouns now is a thing. And so I, I think we're in a period of learning a whole new way to keep our supporters engaged and feeling uh, the love from the organization. Can you give me an example of the difference between, say, a baby boomer and a millennial? When you get into generalizations, you're always going to get yourself in trouble. But I sure. think ba baby boomers are still more conventional when it comes to salutation, for instance. Mm -hmm. And and I think for many baby boomers, they're going to push back on the emphasis of getting the pronouns right. And I think uh, millennial and Gen Z are want to be addressed the way they want to be addressed. And I, you can't you can't make all uh, assumptions about salutations or engagement. I think you have to listen a lot more. I mean, we all listen anyway. But I think uh, the preferences on how they like to be invited to things or included with things or addressed for things uh, is different. And a lot of us are going through our portfolios, making sure that we have asked the question, uh, you know, how, how do you want to be engaged and how do you want to be ad addressed? I think that is a crucial point. That is just absolutely fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us, Mark. We're going to, this is a good place for us to take a break. Our guest today is Mark Litzler. We're speaking about stewardship, the things you should do, the things you must do to steward your donors. We're going to take this break, but when we come back, we're going to ask Mark to help us set up a donor stewardship plan or perhaps improve the one that we have. Plus, we're going to find out if there is a wrong way to thank your donor. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but we're going to find out in just a moment. You are listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm Joe Turner. We'll be right back. One of the biggest challenges facing nonprofits today is securing grants. Where do I find information on grants? How do I write a grant? And how do I submit the grant? And then of course, the dreaded midnight deadlines. Hi, I'm Teresa Stos and I have been there and done that. At Sukup Strategic Solutions, we have a team of expert grant writers 
with years of experience writing hundreds of grants for nonprofits just like yours. Visit our website today at sukupstrategicsolutions.com and schedule a free consultation about your grant writing needs. That's S-O-U-K-U-P strategicsolutions.com. Let's work together and get the grant that your nonprofit deserves. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. We're speaking with our guest, Mark Litzler, about world-class stewardship, the things your nonprofit should be doing when stewarding your donors. Remember, another edition of Coach's Corner is coming up in just a few minutes. Stay tuned for that. Now, Mark, let's get back to our conversation. Obviously, the more memorable the thank you, the bigger the chance is that you'll get a repeat gift from the donor. Can you give us some personal high points in your career where you offered world-class stewardship? Yeah, and again, I would come back to the point I made earlier that uh, the thank you is is important, but the relationship going forward from the thank you is the part that we need to focus on. Stewardship can really vary, and the way we thank people varies as well. And I think it starts with understanding their personality and how they are. A lot of folks that I've worked with on major gifts have been very modest people in their personality and really do not like the big thank you in front of lots of other people and having themselves held out as the big donors that they are. And so you look for more discreet, intimate ways to thank them. Maybe it's a, at a hospital, maybe it's a dinner out with their physician. Uh, what I find in the healthcare fundraising is it's very personal to donors because they, they follow uh, what was happening with the, in, in their family, whether it's breast cancer, heart disease, stroke, or whatever the malady might be. And so to thank them is to make them, give them an intimate opportunity closer to the program, whether that's a a tour in a new clinic or visiting with a physician or a nurse manager or something like that. Uh, Same at a museum, you know, there, there may be a private tour of an exhibition that really is the way to thank some people, or maybe it's a private uh, docent led tour, or they meet the curator who's going to talk about uh, a purchase what we all have available is giving our donors something private and that other people don't get to see. And that's, that's one way to make anyone feel very special that you're going to give them a behind the scenes tour of the museum or a behind the scenes tour of the clinic. And, and they get to see things that, you know, not everybody gets to see. And that's really powerful. The relationships that are most important to the organization are probably CEO level relationships that the development staff manages to make sure that the CEO is creating a touch point every other month, whether that's an invitation to come see something or just to check on them. But those are a couple of common things that we have available that really make a powerful impact on, on donors. So the message here really is, it's not just the thank you, it's the relationship. Uh, I said earlier that 90% of our major donors are already giving. So these are people that we know. And that, that's the best argument for a good stewardship program is that you're just, you're taking care of these people that are supporting you and that over the time, uh, you hope to elevate. Is there a wrong way to thank a donor? Thanking and stewarding comes after knowing this person or family. And if we thank them in a big way and they're modest people, that's a real turnoff to them. 
But I'll tell you, I would have to hear, say somebody wants to be anonymous or doesn't want their name where you're going to put the other names. I have to hear that from them five or six times before I believe it. Because I'll, I'll say, you know, the reason we want to thank you publicly is you're the best example to the rest of the community about giving to this organization. And if the community sees how nicely we thank you or how cordially we thank you, that's going to encourage other people to rise up their game to maybe emulate yours. And so you, I, I really try to have them understand why it's important for us to, to thank them in a, in a magnanimous way. Okay, Mark, so help us create a donor stewardship plan. What are your recommendations? What are the things we've got to be doing? Well, first things first is you, you have to acknowledge and thank for the most recent gift. Beyond that, there ought to be invitations to the organization for one thing or another. There ought to be personal correspondence at least a couple times a year. I, I think three. I, I think more than three may seem a bother, but if these are meaningful correspondence and they're personalized, two or three times a year, I, I think is adequate. There ought to be uh, an annual stewardship program or event, uh, again, where you highlight someone or some organization for its or their giving. Because like I said, this holds them up to the community as an example. And it also shows the community how we are grateful and how we express our gratitude and our thanks. It, like I said, it encourages others to emulate. And then there, there ought to be a couple real ad lib touch points during the year. So if you add it all up, there, there ought to be some kind of touch point at least every other month. When you say touch points, give us some different examples. Of course, there's the email, there's the personal letter. What are some other touch points? Phone calls, greeting cards? Sure. I mean, I've worked organizations that do a holiday card, uh, personalized. I've, I've been places that try to get everybody's birthday and send a birthday card. I think that we all have interesting programs or events going on that, that enable a personal invitation. Mm -hmm. So if we have some annual event and uh, they're going to get the invitation in the mail, but it would be outstanding for someone to call and say, you know, we, we have this coming up. would love to see you there. And if you need a ride, I'll come get you. Oh, wow. Okay. I've, I've done that often with uh, trustees, especially older ones when we have an evening program. And I'll, I'll say, I'd love for you to be there and I'm happy to come get you. It's the personal touch that, that makes the difference. Yes. It, it, again, it goes beyond thank you. It says to them, you're important to us. And this is not even related to any recent gift. It's just that they're, they're someone who's important and we want to make sure that they feel that we feel they're important. Do donors ever thank you for the thank you? All the time. Yeah. You know, in all of us in fundraising, we have portfolios or may, and the portfolio shouldn't be so big that you're not able to provide personal service to everybody in your portfolio. You have to really love your donors. And, and I don't mean in a, in a contrived kind of way. I, it has to be authentic. And when it's authentic, then you're, you're taking care of people that you care about. And mm -hmm. that's, that's not work at all. Contrived. That is the key word. Because I think people can see right through that in a heartbeat. 
and for you to offer that personal touch. They know it's not contrived. To me, it, it shows that you care versus thank you very much and move on. Yeah, I mean, the development people that stay at their desk and do the emails and the letters and things like that, you know, I feel bad because they're not really embracing the role that 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 we serve in in a nonprofit organization. We really have to be the connectors to the community, and and that's fun. Oh, sure. And you get to know, you know, where their grandchildren go to college and this sort of thing. And it's like, if you don't enjoy it to that kind of degree, you're going to burn out, and you're going to, you know, probably change careers. And something we discussed a few weeks ago on this podcast, when we were talking about donor management systems, make sure you're documenting all these little bits of information that you find. Because when you have as many donors as I'm sure the Cleveland Orchestra has, you might need to refresh your memory every so often, at least on newer donors, the husband's name, the wife's name, how their trip to Tahiti was. You have to refresh your memory. And that's why those donor management systems are so important. Joe, you're absolutely right at spot on. And think beyond your current role, you know, we're all going to be in these roles for a few years. Somebody's going to come after us. And you elevate the profession by taking these notes so that the next person can appreciate, you know, this guy doesn't talk with his ex-wife or, you know, things like that. This has been a great conversation, Mark, but is there a question I have not asked you? No, I've enjoyed the conversation and I think there's so much more to it. And I think it always comes down to uh, caring about your work and about the people around you, the donors, et cetera, that really makes this worth doing that, you know, I would hate to be one of those people that's just pushing the paper. Um, We we have this wonderful career of engaging nice people with organizations that we care about, and, and it should be all about relationships. We've been speaking with Mark Litzler about world-class stewardship. And Mark, I hope that something we discussed today has resonated with our listeners that they maybe step up their game as kind of a New Year's resolution. You know, maybe I need to get away from the office and get in front of my donors a little more often, that kind of thing. And of course, they strive to attain world-class stewardship. That's right. You know, if I were to encourage organizations to take one step relative to stewardship, Uh, Large organizations are probably doing this, but the others should budget for stewardship. You know, plan ahead. You're going to have dinners. You're going to have lunches. You're going to have programs. Put it in the budget and, and honor the program. Great note to leave on, Mark. I want to thank you again for being with us today. And I invite our listeners to Google Mark Litzler, L-I-T-Z-L-E-R, and check out some of his artwork. The guy is super talented. Mark, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today on Impactability. My pleasure, Joe, and I'm always available for uh, anyone to follow up if they track me down. It's time now for Coach's Corner, my favorite time of the day. We get a chance to take your questions and we put those questions to our impact coaches. See what kind of answers we can get for you. Hopefully you're not having too many difficulties, but if you are, this is a great place to start by sending your questions to Coach's Corner. We'll tell you how to do that in a minute. Right now, I introduce our impact coach for today, Cheryl Sukup. She is the president of Sukup Strategic Solutions. Great question. As we're heading into the new year, that is exactly what this question question is entailing. Do you have any tips for growing our fundraising income this 
year. Now on Coach's Corner, our Impact Coaches only have five minutes. And so Cheryl, you have five minutes. Do you have any tips for growing our fundraising income this year over last? Let's increase our fundraising this year. You've got five minutes, Cheryl, and your five minutes starts right now. Thank you, Joe. I'm excited to talk about this. It's the end of the year. And as we look into the new year, one of the most important things to do is to develop a fundraising plan. So when you're getting ready to set your goals for the coming year, if one of your goals is to raise your fundraising income and increase the amount you're raising this year over next year, there's some, some really key things that you can do. So I think of increasing fundraising income as a three-legged stool, right? You need to acquire new donors while retaining existing donors and increasing your average gift size. If you do those three things, then you will raise more money year over the past year. So, you know, acquiring new donors, there are so many ways to do that. And I think diversifying the ways that you bring new donors into the fold of your organization is an important key element. And when you're doing your fundraising plan for the year, you can plan certain activities Maybe keep some of the tried and true ones, but also add a couple more that you're going to um, try out this year. That may be one way to increase your income, particularly in a time where fundraising is changing so much. There's so many new opportunities out there to try new tools for fundraising. And in a time where we haven't been able to do all of the traditional fundraising activities because of COVID that some of our organizations are used to, it's a good time to try out some different techniques. And then the other thing is retaining existing donors. What is your donor retention rate? So the donor retention rate has been about pretty steady around 46% for the nonprofit sector. And How's your organization compared to that? What is your donor retention rate? More than how do you compare to the sector? How do you compare to your own results year after year? Were there any years where you were really great at retaining donors and what were some of the activities? Just like in looking back at how you acquired new donors, how were you retaining your existing donors? And for tips on that, just listen to Mark, our our guest speaker, Mark, because he had some great tips on acknowledging your donors, thanking your donors. And really a lot of donor retention comes from that relationship that you build with the donor and helping them to understand the impact of their gifts, but also to learn more about what would be great gift opportunities that really match what's important to them. So as Mark was telling you, There's so much that you can do to set up just ways that you do things within your organization methods. And you, you know, maybe you don't work in in an organization as big as some of the organizations that Mark has been working with and that he was speaking about. Even if you work for a really small organization, or even if you are a volunteer, you know, an all-volunteer organization, there's lots that you can do to appreciate your existing donors and retain them over time and and help deepen the relationship that they have with your organization. So a lot of information about that, cannot cover that in a five minute coach's corner, but but just know that that's gonna be key, a key part of your fundraising plan as well. And then increasing average gift size. So major gifts is a really important aspect to any well-rounded fundraising program. And so if you are not already concentrating on major gifts, you really need to think about what do I need to do within my organization to shift our focus 
to major gifts. You know, if your average gift size is, um, is not growing year over year, then your organization may be shrinking. And, and what one thing to look at, if you're going back to look at your donor data is, were, were there any unusual gifts for the year? Because that can really skew your average gift size. So you want to take those out and then look at the average uh, gift size without any unusual gifts that you don't expect would normally come into the organization. And so this is something else to be very intentional about and to start using some techniques that allow organizations to make suggestions to donors uh, that will move them from the gift level that they're at today to the next gift level. And so some of that can be done through providing gift levels and incentivizing them to move from one level to another, but also sometimes just communicating with donors about what the gift that they made in the past has been and what some of the opportunities are for them to make a gift at the next level up. I think the other thing to think about is um, we've talked before about prospect research in our Impactability podcast. And prospect research is so important. Understanding the capacity of your, of your donors and then also learning more about where else that they, where else they're giving to and why they're giving. And so there's a lot that you can do to influence average gift size that isn't directly asking them to make a larger gift. There's all, all of these other things that go into that. And a lot of that's going to be for another coach's corner. But the take-home message for today is if you want to raise more income next year, number one, be intentional. Number two, pay attention to the three-legged stool. Number three, have a plan, have a fundraising plan. Great stuff, Cheryl. And we do wish all of our nonprofits that listen to our podcast the best in 2022. We want to see those numbers increase because the more those numbers increase, the more they can do for the communities they serve. Cheryl, thank you so much. Happy New Year to you. And we'll see you next year on Coach's Corner. Happy New Year, Joe, and happy fundraising, everyone. If you've got a question for Coach's Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.